1: Sucker's
0: going on. Welcome to the Playing Footsy Show. I'm Steve W. I've got Paul. I've got Steve D here with me. It's our two hundred and fiftieth show oh, oh uh, sorry, that's the intro I got Bard to write for me. I'll do that again. Uh, welcome to the Playing Futsie Show. I'm Steve W. I've got Steve D here with me. Paul's somewhere else this week. How are you doing, Steve? I'm not doing too bad, Steve. Uh, how how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Busy week. Quite a bit of market up and down, some interesting stuff around AI. Uh, which seems to be kind of a running theme at the moment and I wonder how long that's going to kind of keep going for but um how's your portfolio been
1: uh not too bad uh today uh it's Thursday that we're recording this, as per usual we're back on Thursdays um, i had a really good start like my portfolio rocketed off uh, it was a couple of percent up uh but it swung all the way back and we're about to close in uh, 45 minutes at the moment. I need a power hour, Steve, to stop me going uh, even more red because it's about 0.32% down on the main and one18 on the capital incinerators. Um, so not looking so hot at the moment. How about you? Not looking terribly clever here either. I've done a little bit of moving around this week,
0: which is, I guess, increasingly becoming unusual, but I suppose it's a sign I've had more time on my hands. It hasn't made much difference, to be honest. The portfolio not fared terribly well but that's okay we just got to a date earlier this week when I was saying to you it's kind of reached a point where I don't really know what to buy anymore because Mm. the stuff that I I sort of got lazy a bit and thought well it's easy enough from here isn't it it's basically Amazon Alphabet and Disney Uh, just pick whichever one of those you feel could do with some some adding to for your portfolio and balance if you care about it or whichever one you think is the the exact lowest because we thought all three of those were a bit too low for quite some time but I was just going off that idea for a little bit and it just happened to coincide with a time that I had some cash around and it made me start thinking about like other stocks that you can buy, which uh, I suppose that makes a better podcasting material if I do something different.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think we were both in that sort of mentality. I think Disney, uh, Amazon and Google have taken, uh, taken a fair share of my money <laughs> over the over the last year. Now, I'm sort of in that period at the moment where I've, I've only got 200 quid of Free cash left, and that'll be the same now until ISA season. So I'm mm-hmm. at that point where you're looking at stocks like I'm up twenty odd percent on Barclays, I'm up uh, eleven or twelve percent on Adidas, uh, stocks like that where you're looking at them thinking, I'm thinking I'm up thirty percent on Strauman on dentist uh, dentistry. So I'm kind of thinking to myself like, well, do I? They, they're all not stocks I was expecting to do this, and they've now extracted what I would say in you know when I worked it out is about three years worth of gain. So do I start like taking, taking money out of those now? Or you know, is, is it, is it? Are <laughs> you think to yourself, if all I've got is uh, Amazon, Google and maybe Disney, I've probably got a lot in them at the moment, so I'm probably going to wait till I've got a better idea. I, the problem is, as well, is I'm not significantly down on anything else either. So, I mean, the most I'm down on something is eight, uh, 9%, which is Salesforce. And I'm, I'm not massively interested in dropping any more money in that either at the moment. Is there anything catching your eye? Well, the thing I'm down most on is much more than 9%,
0: but it is Amazon. That Hmm. is my uh, most red position. It's a bit difficult for me to work out exactly how much I am down on it. I could do it if I could be bothered because I have some shares in the ISA and some shares in the Invest. And the Invest ones are green and the ISA ones are red. And on balance, it's red. And it's red by... I think on balance, more than 9%, and certainly more than anything else I have, but I don't know exactly how much it is. Um, you mentioned three there that were Straumann, Adidas, and Barclays. Three non-US ones, then. I noticed Straumann's
1: European listed somewhere, right? Swiss, yes. Yeah. Swiss, German, and uh, and... Uh, British is backwards, isn't it? So I uh, just looked actually, if you are right, Amazon, I've seem to have ignored that. I'm 16% down on that, so it does seem like a, <laughs> a, a quite logical place to stick some money now. Uh, now you've made this situation a little bit more difficult.
0: I go backwards and forwards in my own head on these things and thinking, how much Amazon is too much Amazon? Because when I think about my portfolio and I think about my quote unquote fire number, though I've never really thought of it in those terms, and thought, where do I sort of see this portfolio ending up? And think, well, what would what would 10% of that portfolio look like? And Amazon is nowhere near that yet for me when I think about my kind of 4% number for retiring and living off it purposes. So I think, well, I guess I could get that there and then sort of tick it off and and then that would be it. I would be quite lopsided in the short term, but look, we're not building these things for, for beauty contests or anything like that. And arguably, if it's the best opportunity you can find, would i have a massive problem i guess if i thought i only owned about four stocks which were amazon uh, let's say disney and alphabet and something else and i thought well because all of these i bought at really really good prices and i'm just keeping buying them at really good prices i don't honestly know um i sort of think i probably wouldn't want to be that way but it's hard to pin i struggle to make an argument why because
1: any argument would be a reason to not own them at all well, I'm get, currently getting excessively downvoted in the trading two-on-two community. Oh, yeah. I went, <laughs> yeah, I wandered into the dividend section, and somebody was asking the question of, uh, does it really matter uh, what you know whether I go for dividend stocks now or dividend stocks later? And I was like, literally, no, it doesn't matter what you do, so long as you get to that total return pot. There's, there's literally going to be nobody out there who retires with two million pound in their eyes there, who says, I wish, I wish I did it a different way. I wish mm. I did it getting two or three percent dividend yield all the way through it that's just just by the two two to three percent dividend yield when you've got two million it doesn't matter however you get there is irrelevant just getting there is all that's important
0: yeah this argument runs and runs and i think it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Or there's bits of it where I get really stuck on. So when people talk about dividend stocks tend to outperform non-dividend stocks, but they're not the same, those dividend stocks. There isn't a, a non-dividend version of Johnson & Johnson. There isn't a dividend-paying version of Google uh, where you can like map them next to each other. I mean, it might be the ones that pay dividends happen to do better. It might be they happen to do worse. I doubt it's got anything to do with... The fact that they're kind of dividend payers, I suspect the reason that Amazon shares have gone down has nothing to do with the fact it doesn't pay a dividend, although maybe we'll come back to that when we talk about Disney in a little bit, but I suspect it has a lot more to do with the fact that it's Amazon and not uh, Procter & Gamble or whatever else has been doing well lately you run
1: the risk as well though of of just having survivorship bias don't you on on anything that any stock that does well uh you, you sort of run the risk of thinking well it was my skill that picked it Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? it was my skill that made it go up when you've really got to think yeah, that's a little bit of survivorship bias uh, uh, on, a, on a stock on its own uh, it's not particularly the characteristics of that stock it's especially in a short time period It's 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 mostly luck uh, mm-hmm. and recognizing that's quite important so, are
0: you thinking you'd like our, our many listeners that we have to try and boost you back up a bit on on trading two one two, so that they can stop singing you're not fit to wear the shirt no, anymore?
1: Absolutely not! I'm not fit to wear the shirt. No, <laughs> I, I don't I don't really care. I I, I did note the other day though that I, I sort of like somebody messaged messaged me and said, oh, you know, it was one of the trading two on two guys and said, oh, you know, thank you for all the work you're putting in the community. Because I thought I'd stick around and help out a little bit, and hmm. and I thought about it a bit, and I thought he's right. I am spending too much time on the community. I really <laughs> <laughs> I really should stop. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to try and work on that. I've started spending more time on Twitter, and I don't
0: really know why. It's since Elon Musk has took over, but nothing he's done has made any difference to me. I've just found some dividend investors on there that I like looking at and disagreeing with quite a lot. And Parik Patel, who's been there for as long as I can remember, basically, and, and never gets old, and there is never a bear
1: market in Parik Patel. And yeah, and it's another avenue to annoy Casper as well, our our editor on our highlight show. Yeah, I wonder what that's going to come out like on the
0: highlight show. But (laughs) Anyway, uh, news this week. We've got some stocks to talk about. We've got some earnings reports to talk about. We had some stocks for Paul, but they're now stocks for this month because this month is here and Paul is not. So we're going to kick off, though, with a story about why Google shares are going down. They're down about 12% over the last couple of days following the launch of their nice chat GPT competitor called Bard. Bard is supposed to be the thing you can ask about discoveries of stuff and find out information from and they had in their advertising promo which I actually saw I thought before the news kind of came out I thought I'd seen this somewhere they were asking a question about the discoveries from the James Webb telescope it claimed that it took the first picture of an exoplanet that's not true the first planet picture of an exoplanet was taken by the very large telescope in Chile Antofagasta which I thought was a mining company but there you are um and the stock is going down because Bard doesn't look very good, and everyone's talking about ChatGPT.
1: As far as I can tell, that's the story. Uh, buying it, Steve? Uh, I would if I had some cash. Yeah, I don't. I think this is this is much ado about nothing. I think a lot of people say, "No, well, Google's rushed this product out, blah, 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 blah." But it, I mean, we're talking about a product here that they didn't build overnight. I think this product has been in the wax. It's probably been popped to one side because they think it's it's fairly useless. And I think. Anybody who's used Chat GP more than a couple of times will probably agree that it's mostly useless. Um, you know, you can do a few fun things on it, but I wouldn't. I mean, like people say, "No, like it did my itinerary for a trip to Seattle." Was like, would you really want it to be doing that? I'm, I'm not sure. That's what I, I'd, I'd want it to do. So, I think it has some use. Uh, the people who are predicting the end of Google here is like. Uh, I think that's crazy, and I think that's been reflected in the share price. I think it's it's this is utterly crazy. It's like people seem to forget that like Apple didn't invent the mobile phone; they just made it better, and they've made a whole huge company out of being second to the market. And uh, I think Google, you know, Google has the team to make their product better than um, OpenAI. It will be, uh, you know, iteratively better uh over time especially if google choose to leverage their you know their workforce onto it it's a it's a considerable amount of people so um i'm non about both of them to be honest i think this is uh like going to be a flash in the pan and i think i'd, I'd be surprised if we're even talking about it. i mean this here's one to hang your hat on but i would be surprised if we're even talking about this next year oh nice nice february prediction
0: OK, so I have a couple of thoughts about this. There's a couple of reasons why Bard and ChatGPT GPT might worry me personally. So one is for my job. I have a job educating people. Um, and if they come up with a good enough version, could that could a chat bot replace kind of what I do, basically? And from what I've seen so far, I mostly doubt it. And I also think that if they do, it's a long way off. So I'm not worried for my I'm not worried for my living just yet. The other reason it might worry me is as a Google shareholder or an Alphabet shareholder. So chat GPT, uh, if that gets a serious jump on bard, and if this is the future of search, then Google's under pressure because that is where nearly all of what Google's revenue comes from. Search one way or another or stuff to do with that search ecosystem. So the question then becomes: Am I convinced that ChatGPT is significantly better, uh, or can it convince people that's significantly better? And is this the future of search? And the answers, I think, are no, I don't know, and I don't think so. So I'm not convinced it's any better. ChatGPT appears to be kind of too full of holes to be trustworthy, which throws kind of interesting, non-investing questions for me a little bit. I mean, if you believe everything you wrote when you punch something into Google and asked it for answers and so on, I think that you ought to be a bit more careful when you look on the internet. I think one of the things that's a general problem is there's lots of disinformation on the internet, but still people are happy to kind of Google an answer and answer and believe what they kind of find, which is possibly a kind of wider society problem, not my problem as an investor. Um, do I think that uh, they can convince people that ChatGPT is better? Maybe. I mean, I'm not actually convinced that Google search is that much better than every other search thing that I've seen. I just think it's the one that's there first and biggest. And I mean, it massively dominates at the moment. And I'm not entirely sure it's anything other than a kind of first move, a good product advantage. So that might be the kind of danger with this. But I'm not sure I see this as kind of the future of search, talking to kind of AI chatbots, or at least not in my lifetime anyway. I haven't felt the temptation to go look at chat GPT yet. And there will come a point in my life where I think I'm done with technology now. I'm happy with the stuff that I have. It happened to my grandmother who refused to use kind of automatic paying in machines at the bank because she thought, oh, I can't be bothered to learn this. I'm, I'm getting up there in years. What's the What's the need? I can just give it to a human. That time will come for me, but that time isn't now. I don't really feel the need to AI uh, answers to questions and stuff just yet. It might be fun, but I don't feel. I think when I look for an answer, I'm still likely to look in a search. I'm still likely to look in Google, and I'm not sure that's a particularly deviant or unique or idiosyncratic view.
1: Yeah, I think people seem to be missing the wider point, really. Google is not just search. I know it brings in a lot of their revenues, but Google has a lot of products that tie you to search. So Google has Maps, which is the most used map service. Google has Google Photos. Google has YouTube. You know, Google has the pixel range. Google is a lot more than just a, a search engine. It has a lot of tools that tie people into search. I, think I was reading the other day that Google Photos is used by two... Uh, two billion people, I think it was, and Google Maps is by far the most used map program on on the uh, on the internet. Obviously, YouTube, we we all know about. No search, Bing is not going to replace um it is not going to re- replace YouTube advertising. So straight away, you you know that that part is you know is, is never going to disappear. Then there's the pixel range of phones. That's not going to be affected by Chat GPT. So. The fact that people are trying to strip off massive amounts of Google here because of this seems to me like they're trying to induce a bit of panic selling, and uh, well, we've been we've been we've been guilty of a panic sell before today, Steve, and I think we should not fall for it this time because this time I think people are missing missing the bigger picture somewhat.
0: Yeah, I've been guilty of a couple of panic sells in the past. One, um, well, two that stick out were Enphase, phase, which was more of a short report than news breaking about its inefficiency or anything like that and the other was album both of which i kind of got stuck into panic selling i haven't been those are quite a while ago now or they feel like quite a while ago and i've sat fairly tight on these i sat fairly tight on meta in its various panic selling phases and i do have cash available and i thought yeah i quite like alphabet shares at this point at least relative to a bunch of other things i could do with the cash like put it in bonds or even put it in amazon or other other stocks here i can't see anything that i think is more attractive to me at the moment
1: uh yeah i think i'm sort of i'm sort of there with you really i, I mean before you pointed out that i was so badly down on amazon i think google <laughs> was the most obvious place for uh, for my cash um and you know i think come april if we're still in this kind of scenario hopefully it's even better um you know maybe that's where it'll where it'll go for me
0: yeah google one of the things i like about alphabet as a stock and i mentioned this i think last week when i talked about apple is that apple's buyback policy is running out of cash i mean it will have to use the cash it generates and that's fine but it's kind of accelerated use up the cash on the balance sheet thing is running out of room i think google has quite a bit of room to maneuver with this they do have significant amounts of of cash available if their stock goes down i'm not sure they would be above buying back stock if you'd asked me sort of a fortnight ago i would have said absolutely no chance but just lately a bunch of companies that i wasn't expecting to be buyback heavy in this situation i was expecting them to kind of lean into difficult times lower prices tougher opportunities to invest and and try and pick up some stuff while it was cheap and and they're actually buying back as well so meta being the obvious example here i wasn't particularly expecting to see that happening
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just had a quick look, Steve, while we were talking there Mm. about um, um, Google products um, that some of them are at market and being, uh, you know, that that are chargeable and and some of these aren't. And I just thought, I wonder if people really understand how big Google has actually become. So I'm going to just quickly reel off the ones in here that Uh, you should obviously know about or or you will have heard of. So they've got Android, Android Auto, Android TV, Calendar, Chrome, Chrome Enterprise, Chromebook, Chromecasts, uh, Contacts, Docs, Drawings Drive, Earth, Google Finance, Google Forms, Gboard, which is Google's keyboard, Gmail, Google Alerts, Google Assistant, Google Cast, Google Chat, Google Classroom, Uh, Google Fi. I wonder what that is. That sounds interesting. Um, Google (laughs) Google Financial Independence. Could be, yeah. Google (laughs) Fit, Google Maps, Google Meet, Google One, Google Pay, Google Photos, Google Play, Google Play Books, Google Play Games. So that's just a few of those off the top Mm. of my head. Which are massive products you're forgetting: YouTube, YouTube Music, YouTube Kids, YouTube TV, Waze, Pixel, Pixel Books, Podcasts, Search. Sheets, Google Translate, Google Slides. This is way more than just a search engine. And if Google has to start charging for these things, Nest is one of these things I always forget that Google own, Mm. um, which looks after cameras and uh, doorbells and things like that. If they see if some of these things are things that Google has to you know charge a subscription for access to to replace search, then that's probably going to be a net negative to society. So uh, I would imagine that Google's uh, Bard will be just as good as ChatGPT and that. I think they're both going to be crap.
0: Yeah, you don't see either of them getting there just yet. I wonder whether this is another what I'm lazily going to call Kathy Wood thing, where people are mm. kind of overestimating the pace of innovation a little bit, getting very excited about stuff that is still quite a way off. I agree. Okay, let's talk about some earnings. Shall we kick off with Disney? Let's do it. Disney's a fairly recent one. It came in last night. We're recording this on Thursday, as Steve said earlier, but that stock is going up at the moment. It was up about 5% when I looked earlier today on the exciting news that Paul is doing victory laps as a result of being probably, maybe, he has a decent chance anyway, being right about something. It's my bold prediction that McDonald's would uh, is
1: down? Google is nearly flat. Uh, sorry, uh, Disney is fl- nearly flat now. Yeah, it was 5%. It's just gone all the way down
0: okay so disney uh as bob iger reverses his decision to no i don't know um but <laughs> yeah paul is doing victory laps because he might have got a prediction right this year which is one more than he managed last year and one more than i've managed in since we started doing them but um here's the kind of numbers from last night's earnings report then revenue came in at twenty-three and a half billion, which is eight percent higher than it was this time a year ago the parks continue to Push revenues higher, up 21%, and the media segment, which is Disney+, and ESPN, and all of that kind of stuff was up a mighty 1% in revenue from what I can see here. Earnings per share was just short of a dollar, which is down around 7%. The parks were up again, and media went to a sort of small loss. Up 25% is what I've got written down for parks. Disney+, Plus subscribers were down by a percent. Revenues were up by 13%. Losses widened from 593 million to a billion or so. But here's the bit that matters. Bob Iger has asked the board, or is asking the board, or is going to ask the board to reinstate the dividend in time for Paul to be right that Disney will pay a dividend this year. Unbelievable scene, Steve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hats off to Paul for calling that one. I, didn't, I don't think even he really saw it coming. I think he was just scratching around for a third prediction. So uh, interesting that it's coming. I personally don't feel like it's the right time. I don't know if you want to give some quick thoughts on that before we look at the earnings call.
0: I, this feels like all the wrong sorts of moves to me. I don't know why they want to pay a dividend. Do they think they have enormous amounts of excess cash lying around? Or do they think they have some excess cash lying around? Or do they think this is a way of trying to push their stock price higher? Because it might be successful in that last case. There may well be a category of investors who think... No, no, I want this if I can have a 0.2% return each quarter or something like that. But I'm not in that category of investors. But I don't see this as an obviously right move for Disney.
1: No, me neither. I just refreshed the page, Steve. We are actually now down 1.63% on cool. uh, Disney, Edit which back, is, Casper. which is, um that's smoke and mirrors isn't it that that's exactly what i tried to do today he tried to hide a, a pretty mediocre looking report especially on the media side the actual parks side did excellent that that the core i would call that the core part of business business probably mm. that did excellent but the actual media side uh, it didn't do very well and it's probably not going to do uh, as well going forward because of uh, some of the things that were in the earnings call um the Main bits that I've pulled out were that uh, Iger's looking to make five and a half billion dollars worth of savings. Uh, and he's going to make this by reducing non-sport licensing spend by three billion. So for me, this is a clear sign that Netflix has won this this little streaming race between uh, Disney and Netflix. Uh, Disney is, is bowing out, essentially, I think, at this point. They're saying, right, OK, you have it, Netflix. You You've got the money to spend which is amazing when you think about it. Netflix has got to the point where it is outspending Disney and Disney is retreating. Mm. Uh, Incredible. But the other two and a half half billion is going to come from a 7,000-person headcount reduction uh, and 1.25 billion of marketing uh, costs reduction and some other incremental savings. And we won't see all of that. Until 2024. Iger uh, said that Disney Plus was on track for profitability by 2024, which is exactly what uh, Chapek predicted pre-sack. Uh, Disney's ad tier uh, should start making financial impact by the end of this year. Uh, at the moment, they, they were saying it was pretty minimal uh, effect. Uh, Disney are actually going to restructure into three main units again, mm. the for the 18th time. Uh, we're now going to be Entertainment, ESPN, theme parks and experiences, which led to the analysts saying, oh look, this is strange that you're putting ESPN on a bit of a pedestal. Are you going to spin it out? And I said, no, ESPN (laughs) as a brand is very healthy. We're not engaged in conversations right now or considering a spin-off for ESPN. I bet you, see that span off within a couple of years. I can almost guarantee it. Just, <laughs> there's no reason other than that to do it. So the last bit I got was just to congratulate Paul on Iger bringing back what he called a modest dividend uh, towards the end of the year. Um, I wonder what that's going to be, but I would assume it's not going to be anything n- 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 very exciting. I think it's going to be under 1%, maybe even half a percent
0: yeah it wasn't terribly exciting from a yield perspective before was it sort of before i think it stopped around the pandemic right and they'd only recently kind of gone
1: quarterly with it before then yeah it was a 1.6 percent or something was it it was not much at all With the disney share price was quite a bit higher as well though hmm
0: so I guess a few things to keep an eye on now. I was interested in the restructuring. I Sometimes at Disney I found annoying when I first started looking at it because I was trying to figure out what all these moving parts were and then I'd managed to get my head around what was going on because the earnings reports as I see them now, maybe it's just what I'm used to again but break things out in a, fa- in a way I can understand. They have the revenue and then under that you have parks revenue and you have um, media revenue. Basically, under media revenue you have ESPN and the linear stuff and then you have underneath that the... Disney Plus things, and and breakdowns from there by kind of region and uh, Disney Plus and Hulu and so on and so forth. I kind of was okay with that, but they're separating out then the um, Linear Networks ESPN stuff. ESPN, I think, is a reasonably strong brand, and as much as I like US sports, and I quite like, I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl this Sunday. I'm not particularly interested in hearing an awful lot of stuff around it, but I, I am looking forward to that. I watch it pretty much every year and it's a nice opportunity to stay up uh, while the rest of my house has gone to bed and eat nachos although it didn't work last year because the rest of my house came down and started eating the nachos with me anyway back to disney I wonder about spinning it out. I sometimes wonder when companies restructure like this, whether they're a bit wary of the kind of comps that are available because it's harder to comp these things if the business unit didn't report as well before. But this doesn't look quite like that. I mean, you could still do it if you wanted to because they report ESPN. They break out Disney Plus in part of their media segment. So that was the other thought that was in my mind with restructuring.
1: But I'm interested if you think it might be going. I I, I don't see any reason to to make it one of your key points uh, unless disney are going to try and pivot really heavily into sports they they could be uh, that could be what they're trying to do I, uh, I just don't think from what they announced yesterday that that there's any reason to really organize in in this way the other problem I had with it is that, um, I mean, the reason the Disney dividend got cut was because of how bad it looked to be paying a dividend when nobody was at work in in essentially in corporate America. So I wonder how people will feel about a 7,000 head cut reduction, which is essentially going to fund the dividend. It's... Mm. it's no better, really, is it? It's not a better image for for Disney, and I, I wonder how that will come across. I know the Disney family are qu- sort of quite vocal about uh, things like this, aren't they? And about the the way the staff are treated. Now, I would assume this is not going to go down without uh, without at least uh, some kind of you know statement from the the Disney family. Yeah, I wonder what Nelson Peltz makes of it. That's what he wanted, wasn't it? This is almost exactly what he wants. So he hasn't got a bar, so he's been told he's useless, and then they've done one of the things he asked them to do.
0: Yes, I'm unsure as to exactly whose side I'm on there. His basic idea was stop burning all this cash, and Bob Iger, in fairness, may well have been of a view of we need to stop burning all this cash, guys, anyway. He didn't particularly need Nelson Peltz to tell him that, and that was one of his kind of lines of response, right? It was, he hasn't said anything we didn't already know and weren't already thinking about. Which is consistent with them doing it. Yeah. But I was interested in... Uh, I don't think they're, by the way, getting into uh, sports in a big way. I think there is tough competition with pretty deep pockets there from the likes of Amazon and Google, to a point, uh, YouTube and... And Prime Apple, and, maybe. And Apple, and I think there's... that's If they're retreating away from Netflix in a battle, I don't think they want to replace that with a fight for Thursday night football or whatever.
1: I, I absolutely think there's a... There's a space in the market, though, for somebody who just wants to put out really high-quality, irregular content, if you see what Mm -hmm. I mean. I've been watching the Last of Us series, which is a HBO uh, production, I think. Uh, It's out on Sky Atlantic for us, us folk over the pond, and that is absolutely fantastic, and it makes you think to yourself, if this... If Disney could do this, you know, produce content of this level, and then every time something comes out on Disney, you rush to watch it, but then in the in-betweens when Disney's producing something special, you just watch Netflix. I think there's a perfect bit of synergy there. Drop down and compete with the likes of HBO rather than just trying to take on, you know, Netflix, which is... Netflix is kind of like scattergun nonsense, isn't it? And they occasionally pull a rabbit out of the hat, Mm. whereas Disney, I think with their experience should be able to look at, look at shows objectively and know what will work and what won't. And I did see there was, a drop in quality from Disney's programming, Uh, especially when Chapek was in charge. It felt like, I know that most of these projects were probably Iger projects that Chapek inherited, but they kind of seemed like they were just like, it was like, yeah, yeah, just put it out. It's Star Wars, they'll love it. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you're watching it thinking, well, this isn't very good. (laughs) This isn't (laughs) very, this just isn't very good. And and I hope that, I mean, Iger is famed for his work on the creative side of Disney, I think is probably what he takes the most credit from. And I hope they go back to just making great stuff. I don't care about the crap stuff. Just just go back to making great <laughs> stuff. Yeah, more great stuff. That why aren't you an activist?
0: <laughs> I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. It is quite difficult to activist a, a company like it, Disney.
1: I will sell not point not 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 one percent of your shares if you don't reinstate the dividend. Hmm. I'll I'll buy them if they don't reinstate the dividend. <laughs> Would you buy it here? um yeah i think so i think this is i don't think this is egregiously priced uh, at all i was having an argument with somebody on twitter steve much in the same way that you've been doing who just said disney's pe is 68 and it's a load of rubbish and it will going into a bear market and it's going to go to pe of 10 and i just said to him like PE's just do not exist in a vacuum like if you were looking at the parks and media business and that was the only thing disney had and it was at 68 you'd be like, something's gone horribly wrong here. But I mean, it's quite obvious to just look like one line further down the statement to see what's happening to Disney's earnings. uh, And then you can just adjust that PE to, you know, what it should be. Um, I mean, let's not lie to ourselves. Disney isn't in the greatest shape it's ever been in. It's got a lot of debt. It's got the Fox product that arguably hasn't been very well integrated, especially for the price they paid. It's not added a lot of value to, to, to Disney as a company, but from here, Uh, looking onwards because that's what we're doing today. If you're buying Disney today, you're not buying it for its history. Unfortunately, you can take part in, you know, you can take, uh, you can take some sort of incentive from its history, but you're actually looking at its future now. And I think Disney from here is quite well positioned to do pretty well. Yeah, you can absolutely think its history is relevant to its
0: future, because a lot of its back catalogue will stay that way. But yeah, you're right, we're buying it looking forward. So we're buying it at today's prices, with today's debt load, which is a thing that Peltz made a a thing out of, I think, which I kind of agreed with him on. It does look kind of debt-heavy, and then that, I guess, also plugs into the point about laying off a load of people and then paying a dividend, rather than clearing out
1: some of that leverage. I would much sooner than clear out the debt. I don't mind so I. getting rid of headcount. Get rid of the headcount. Get that, get that balance sheet back uh, mm. looking pristine and, and then do whatever you want with the free cash flow that that generates. Um, what we don't want is Disney's debt rolling over into these high interest environments right. because that would be bad.
0: That would be bad, yes. They took dead at a time when it was okay to do that. I can't remember what their credit rating is, and maybe we'll find out further down the line. I kind of also think it's an okay buy here, especially if it's come back down again today. Nothing in the report particularly caused me to want to buy it more expensive than I wanted to buy it yesterday, though, I think is the way I would put this.
1: Yeah, but I, I still I don't think it's a particularly expensive buy. In the vein that I don't really think much of big tech at the moment is a particularly expensive buy. Maybe except for Microsoft. That's probably the only one that I look at and think, I'm not. I'm not sure I can get there. I'm not sure I can get to that valuation.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. That's the only one still at a PE of around thirty. And PEs, of course, is all you need to look at. The valuation has the biggest one. Well, no, doesn't have the biggest one? Amazon's got a much bigger one, but. Um, Okay, let's leave Disney there for a moment then. Steve, you've been looking at something a bit closer to home, something called Adyen.
1: Okay, yeah, so uh, I've spoke about Adyen a few times here. It's a, it's a Dutch payments company that I think gets overlooked quite a lot. Um, its customers are pretty much sort of the big boys in corporate America. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of... Big competitors are Square and uh, Stripe, if you've if you've heard that. So it's in the same kind of uh, vein as that. They actually spoke about it on What We Fool Today. I don't know whether you saw it. Uh, Bill Madden spoke about it quite Not quite positively, which is, is strange because they don't often speak about uh, non-American companies uh, on there. But their earnings, Steve, were pretty good. I thought um so <laughs> much so they were down fifteen percent on the back of them. So see if you mm. can spot why. Okay. So, uh and again, sorry, just before I do start, uh, if you really are new to investor relations and things like that, you should have a look at Adyen's ends because the way they break it down makes it so easy to understand. So if you look at payment processes like Visa and things like that and you don't understand their earnings, try Adyen because they'll explain what each segment means. So process volume for Adyen was 421.7 billion. Uh, that's up 41%. This is Euro's. Uh, this is in Euros, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, net revenue was 721.7 million, uh, and that's up 30%. So your process volume uh, times by your take rate equals your net revenue. Mm-hmm. So EBITDA came in at 372 million. Uh, margin was 52%, down, to, uh, down from 64%. Free cash flow conversion was 80% of EBITDA, down from 90%. Capex was eight percent of revenues up from six and full time employee Steve grew to three thousand three hundred and thirty two from two thousand one hundred and eighty so a big jump in employees um, so surprisingly, there's a few misses in here uh, versus Wall Street's expectations, mostly due to a reduced take rate, which I've explained in previous episodes. That Agen switched to a volume-based discount, so the bigger the customer and the more volume they put through Adgen Adgen charge a lower take rate. So uh, if you know if you if you're putting 10 million through, you get one take rate. If you put in 500 million through, you get a different take rate. So it's it's volume-based discount. Um, A few few changes, sorry, Steve, at the top for you. They're going back to co-CEOs. Peter van der Doos uh, is the current CEO. He's actually had quite a bit of ill health recently, so they're trying to help him out a little bit. Here we go for uh, pronunciation. The CFO, Hager is stepping into that role. Um, Okay. He's also expanding the role because he's going to be assuming the responsibilities for the chief operating officer as well, because the incumbent has stepped down. So it's it's going to become a a larger, uh, expanded role, but then shared between two people. Uh, I've got the geography growth for you as well, Steve. So just to let you know, uh, EMEA, uh, that's Mm -hmm. uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa, was up 20 percent. North America, up 45 percent. Asia Pacific, up 44 percent. And Latin America, up 36 percent. So I had a quick look through the results and I think it's quite obvious AdGen's investing heavily in its staff. It's further building out the business. Its guidance was unchanged. The Adyen management thinks it can grow its business for about 30% per year for the foreseeable future. And its actual aim is to bring CapEx back down to 5% of revenue. So it was down 15% after all of this, Steve, um, EBITDA actually EBITDA growth actually only fell to about 4%, but when you think it's adding 30% new employees uh, just in the last six months, uh, clear plans for what they want to build, uh, and it's actually waited to do any hiring uh, because during the pandemic, talent was very scarce and thus was very expensive, uh, so... Adyen's adding staff, Steve. I mean, 50% year-on-year, 30% new employees in the last six months, almost all of them going into tech. Meanwhile, its competitor, Stripe, has just laid off 14% of its employees. I think Adyen are in a pretty much a position of strength here, and I own this one, and you don't. Is it mm-hmm. too expensive still for you? Don't know. I haven't looked since it went down 15% and grew
0: quite a lot. I was going to say, so... Adding headcount and quite significant amounts of headcount goes... Swims against the way the tide is going at the moment, right? We see, basically, tech companies tending towards laying people off. Not universally, but that seems to be the vast majority of what we're seeing right now, even though US economy seems to be doing all right, jobs-wise. But I quite like this, considering that nearly all of the numbers are sort of fairly healthy up-wise. They're getting better... Um, uh, revenue through the door, that margin you said was 52%, that's about level with where it was before? I mean, it's very high, but you kind of it's, expect that from a company
1: like this. It's actually lower, yeah, 64% <laughs> mm-hmm. is usual for Agen, but y- you've got to think about w- what they've done in that meantime. So they actually think that hiring a bulk of people now and taking the hit now will mean that in the future uh, they will, will have to do as much hiring, and they think that revenue will easily accelerate beyond this current hiring patch, so
0: yeah so i like moving against the direction of things otherwise but that's not to say i want the kind of companies that we've been talking about the googles and the amazons and so on to be doing that i think they're doing the right thing for them because they are overstaffed and it's starting to eat into margins basically they're unable to push through inflation especially wage inflation or not as well as they would like to adjuns moving in the right direction and moving at a decent a pretty decent rate i assume its balance sheet is pretty good because the balance Excellent. sheets on these things generally are yeah um it was the last time i looked long long time ago and growing like that with that kind of cash conversion you wouldn't expect them to be well you'd be surprised if they thought we really need to speed this up by taking on some debt so 15 percent drop interest you you there was a point a while ago quite a while ago early when you got this and it kind of ran off a little bit and went up an awful lot and then i think it might have come all the way
1: back again at one stage for you and then went off again and i've lost track of where we are now yeah so i mean up at one point i was up about 90 odd percent so i was ready to mm. do my uh post it to paul to annoy him uh, and then it fell all the way back down to i think i was down about 10 percent at one mm. point and then i pushed back up past and was ended up about maybe 25 percent past it and now i'm about level uh i i went uh under yesterday but today we're up about six percent so i've uh i've made some of that uh back i think i'm just just slightly in the green but this is around the price i was happy to pay you know a year and a half two years ago when i originally bought it might have been even longer than actually it might have been three or four years ago mm. uh, i was happy to pay that price and i am happy to pay the price for it again today i think um you're, it's one of those companies that reinvests an awful lot into itself so you can look at its pe or whatever in in a vacuum and say wow this is an expensive company but when you actually sit and drill down you think gosh this is a premium 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 business which is which is really really loved by um you know by by the people who use it so it has next to zero chain and um and it's a smart business as well you can't you can't Help but think these, you know, these CEOs were, were very forward-looking when they sat there and said, come on, let's just pause hiring during the pandemic, you know, paying £300,000 for a, a, a tech guy, and right now, you could probably get a tech, you probably get three or four for that kind of money. Yeah, so, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so it's been it's been a very, I mean, whether you can give them credit for that, maybe it's a bit of luck, a bit of credit, but it's a pretty smart move, and they're sat here now just reaping the benefit, and I would expect to see this company do very well, it's, at least in the in the near future. Whether they can keep this, I mean, they're talking about 30% for what they think is a fairly long time. 30% revenue growth is very difficult to to keep up. But if they manage it, this stock will look super cheap in a few years' time. Mm. I guess the sort of short-term headwind
0: is recession, right? You think less money going through those pipes, less... I get their take rate goes up, so they're protected a little bit from that if they if, if volumes come down a lot. But in general, the visas and MasterCards of this world always think that a bit of inflation is a good thing for them. Not so much that it breaks things and people stop spending, because then that slows everything down. But generally speaking, a bit more coming through is good. So recession is the sort of short-term worry?
1: Reason to keep an eye on this? It definitely is, yeah. Uh, I mean, a recession is going to hurt a lot of businesses, isn't it? I think that's the, mm. that's the key point. But Adyen's definitely not immune from it um but it's it's difficult to doubt these guys because they're sat looking at the numbers all day they're sat looking at solutions they're hiring people and you think to yourself well they've got they've got the pandemic completely right so are they are they just are they pitching it right you know here forward as well it's a tricky one for me i think yeah you're right if the recession hits and it's deep and it's and people cut back spending then you know, Adjen's not going to do very well. It's just not going to grow at it. its 30%. But if we, if we get that, that soft landing, Steve, that we're, we're, we're beginning to believe in, which, you know, feels like a rug pull. <laughs> feels mm. like a rug pull ready for us. But if we get that soft landing, um, especially in the EU, that'll be crazy because, you know, an area not famed for its growth, even in the good times. But, uh, if, if the EU can manage it, um, well, I mean, adgen's all over the world, isn't it? So, um, We'll see. I think Agen's biggest problem is the the, the the constantly strengthening dollar. I think if the if the dollar gets too strong, this is this is probably what's going to hurt um, Agen the most. But uh, I was looking at its X eBay revenue, which is quite interesting that they break that out for you because eBay is quite a big quite uh, a big customer of theirs. Mm. If you take out the X eBay revenue, the uh, the revenue actually grew in the seventies. Wow. So um, so yeah, pretty pretty interesting company i i think it's you know one for your watch us and one for you to do a bit more digging in cool you also
0: have a look at nintendo this week they reported earnings they're a much more familiar company i guess to quite a few of our um viewers and listeners are so certainly more familiar to me anyway
1: yeah so um well again it's, a, it's one that we spoke of before i've been i've been in and out of the stock it's it's a strange one for me mm. i i kind of buy it and then i find something better and then but I'm actually sort of committed to to holding it for a little while now because I mean it's super cheap. Um, its endings were not that great, um, but that's to be expected because it's it's quite late in its current hardware cycle. The the switch itself is about six or seven years old now. When you're competing against the PS5 and the Eggbox, which are mm-hmm. two or three years old now, it's always going to be difficult to pedal your you, you know your equipment, especially when it's lower spec. Um, but I think this is a really, really good company. So I've tried my best, Steve, to get everything back to a currency we understand. course okay. it's Japan,
0: I, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: because some of their things are like 18 trillion yen, and I just mm-hmm. I just know nobody has the brain power to get that conveyed back. It took me ages to figure it out. So here we go. So the market cap on Nintendo at the moment is $49 billion. It has a 19 current PE and a 17 forward PE if you factor in their cash which you should do they've got 13 billion of it it's not insignificant um it drops to 15 and 14 so uh, gross margins fell from 55.6% to 53.9%, which is good for an industrial. That's that's pretty strong. Mm. Um, this was attributed by selling more of their newer OLED bottle, um, which is uh, not as heavy on the gross margin. Uh, this was actually offset, though, by a, a lower proportion of hardware to software sales overall, which is a good little thing to have coming along. Uh, if you take their current three quarters... And you compare them against the last three, uh, digital sales have actually grown 21.5%, and they've gone from 40.2% of revenue to 46% of revenue. If we're just doing Q&Q, they're still up 10.2% this late in the cycle that's quite impressive uh annual playing users pushed higher again this is a trend that's been consistent uh over the whole of the last five years uh it's actually grown now to f- uh 14 to 112 million uh there's some bright spots in digital sales too so the new pokemon game sold 18.2 million units in the first seven weeks after release that's the fastest start of any title in a nintendo franchise uh there's elder around the corner soon too so you know, this record could be fairly short-lived. Bad news. Um, Nintendo slashed its profit guidance for the year uh, from $3 billion to $2.8 billion. And they've blamed this on generally on just weakened uh, console sales. Uh, they sold 8.23 million consoles during the Xmas period, which was down 22% year-on-year. Year. And this looks expensive especially bad when you compare it to sony which recently raised sales guidance on their ps5s by an extra million but it's actually no worse than the xbox performed so a new switch is pretty close now um the analysts were trying to get some information out of nintendo but they they, they didn't give any uh, information but if the switch comes out and nintendo get it right this is another one of those stock steves that will look really cheap Hmm. It kind of looks cheap at the
0: moment anyway, to be honest. It never looks terribly expensive when I look at it. You said 19 and 17, or if you try and factor in the cash, 15 and 14 for PE ratios. I think debt's under control as well at this company. And I've looked at this and thought it's pretty cheap. And I'm not a massive believer. I think a lot of brands are overrated, basically. I think it's about Stellantis. I think it has a whole lot of meh kind of brands and i think Mm. a whole lot of brands probably doesn't really amount to anything very much but when i think about stuff like pokemon i think that's about as strong as it comes and that seems to be borne out by their kind of most recent stuff and i think to myself well look how complicated do you need to make this find something that people will pretty much buy more or less whatever you do it this comes into the find a business an idiot could run thing which is just make some sort of pokemon thing and don't do anything stupid and completely ruin it um and people will buy it and i look at that and i look at also stuff like madden and the ea sports and fifa and that kind of thing and think those will pretty much sell themselves every year you don't have to worry too much about content creation you can keep moving that forward went right off pokemon personally when they started getting past about 250 or so but yeah there's millions now aren't they uh, probably but uh, there's also plenty of people that want to uh, keep up with this stuff and follow it along and and so on so i think this is a i like this on the software side quite a lot i was interested in their kind of hardware mix you mentioned the hardware uh, the mix of hardware the software was kind of unfavorable and that pushes down margins because you have to manufacture the hardware stuff the software stuff kind of is develop it once and then operational leverage from there i kind of i like it although i guess i probably would prefer a pure play games thing that had some strongish brands there i'm not quite sure what i what i think and i also feel like i suppose i come back to where you are i would buy this and every part of me says say why you're not buying this and the honest answer is i don't really know other than i think i would get fed up with it and sell it at the wrong time as well
1: yeah, that the, there is always a chance that you'll find something better out there. Um, key to note that it's paying a 3.77% dividend at the moment for the dividend chases out there. Speak
0: so. me to it. I was going to say, we are
1: a proper investing show. As such, we must talk about the dividend. Yeah, so there you go. Um maybe comparing it against something like Take 2 at the moment Steve which had some pretty dodgy earnings. Actually went up on its dodgy earnings as well up about 10%. I think it missed on absolutely everything consensus tracked it against. Um, but it still went up 10 or 11% afterwards. But that's a software company with some pretty excellent games in its in its library and and coming soon to its library so uh, maybe want to maybe one of those things that Motley Fool recommends to stick in a basket and yeah, you know maybe buy a few of them.
0: Yeah, it's a strange one. I I don't, I don't own Nintendo shares. I've never owned Nintendo shares. I think it's unlikely I ever will own Nintendo shares, and I can't really argue with anyone who does. Uh, I don't have a decent kind of case against this particularly. I hear Activision Blizzard, by the way, the UK, is attempting to get in the way of their deal with Microsoft, calling it anti-competitive will mean higher prices for gamers who don't want to buy an expensive console. I sort of thought buying expensive consoles and and setups was part of the business of gaming, personally, but, you know, I'm not a UK regulator.
1: It does seem that it's not just the UK that's going to break that deal down. I think everybody's sniffing around at breaking that one down, Mm. Um, which is kind of another reason why I think Microsoft's gone on the attack to Google. I think they're trying to hide the fact that, um, well, they had some pretty average-looking results, and um, now this Activision deal looks like it's you know it's going to break down or at least there's going to be some pretty hefty sanctions put in place to you know potentially sell off bits or all of uh, the interesting titles uh from activision blizzard and i think microsoft are trying to sort of like just sort of smoke and mirrors that a little bit but steve we're running out of time we are what stock have you got for february
0: here's my stock that i've got for february where paul is now known as february he's february on my calendar anyway uh, my stock is called Intercontinental Hotels Group because I wanted to talk about a UK stock. So, what does it do? It franchises, important word, that. We'll come back to that bit. Franchises a bunch of hotels. You'll have heard of some of its brands and probably not others. You might have heard of a Bureau Star. I have. Best Holiday I Went On was there, actually, on one of those. Uh, Regent Six Sense Holiday Inn. Not the best holiday anyone's ever been into, to that one. But they are what they are. Candlewood Suites and some other stuff as well. They have 880... 880- thousand rooms uh contained in their various hotels. Seventy-one percent of these are franchised and the way that works is they take five to six percent of the room revenue from guests while doing absolutely nothing. Proper dividend investing this. Uh, they provide the branding and the network and they appear on their um site and search and so on. And as a result, people pitch up at their hotels and um, Intercontinental takes five to six percent of the room revenue only. Twenty eight percent of what they call managed, where they provide basically management. In exchange for that, they take between one and three percent of the total hotel revenue. So that includes stuff like food and bar and all that sort of thing as well. Uh, One percent of them, they own outright and they do all the work and keep all the profit. And they're busy getting rid of those because they seem like a lot of work. So, loads of red flags around this stock then. Let's start with where everyone's going to start. This thing has a P.E. ratio of 29. That's quite high for a hotel chain, I think. Um, I haven't compared it to too many, but there are reasons why this might not worry you too much that build on a theme that you were talking about before, Steve. It's high compared to, say, Google, which when, at the time I started writing this, was trading at a P.E. of around 20, it might be lower, but let's stick with 20 for the moment. Um, So... CapEx is around 10% here of operating cash flow in this case, so close to EBITDA, but not quite the same thing. Uh, Google has around a 34% CapEx ratio at the moment, and this is a feature of franchising things. Franchising stuff means that you don't pick up all the costs associated with hotels. You don't have to pay the electricity bills. You don't have to maintain swimming pools. You don't really have to reinvest into them very much at all. You don't have to pay staff. Um, so if you had a million coming through the doors at Intercontinental, it would become 900,000 in free cash flow. Uh, if it came in, sorry, uh, operating cash flow. Um, and if you bought it at a 29 PE ratio, that would give you a 3.1% return. Same thing coming in at Google becomes 660 in free cash flow. By that, at 20 times earnings gets you to 3.3. So it's slightly under the Google returns, but we'll come back to some thoughts there in a moment. Pre-pandemic, this was punching revenues along quite well as it added things into its network. It doesn't cost much to add things into its network, so its acquisition costs are pretty low, but it was pushing along nicely at sort of 17.5% uh, revenue growth per year, which is all right, considering it doesn't really cost you a lot to do that. So most of it goes, makes its way through to the bottom line, and it's still finding its way back a little bit from the, from the pandemic, mostly due to demand stuff, not because... Like an airline, it got into all kinds of trouble with operational leverage and had fuel costs to pay, doesn't have any fuel costs, had loads of staff costs, doesn't have any staff, well, some staff, doesn't have that many staff, uh, and everything else. So its debt went from $2.8 billion to $4.2 billion in total, and it's come back to 3.2 uh, already. So it's most of the way back home again. Compare that to an airline, EasyJet, uh, a stock we like talking about, underrated growth stock in the UK, according to uh, some other people went from 1.9 billion more than doubled to 4.4 billion and has made its way back to 4.3 billion so you had a massively indebted thing there that was under slightly because of the travel demand this has still got a way to come back in terms of revenues coming in as travel normalizes again which i think it kind of eventually will so there's room to run there uh, kind of just catching up in ways that you don't have to worry too much about growth um but it's kind of asset light model means that its operating income comes in at 187% of its fixed assets, which makes it pretty near inflation-proof. It doesn't have to stick much into it. Higher costs don't really mean very much. Here's a thing that I found out today that I wasn't expecting to find out when I was looking at this stock. It's been buying back its shares uh, between January 27th and February 1st. There's buybacks going on. I did not expect to see this what I did expect to see was a 1.85% dividend because stocks for February or Paul or whatever, you cannot not talk about the dividend. And I wanted to annoy Paul with my thoughts on its dividend mainly. Uh, historically, these guys have run quite close to their coverage ratio. So a coverage ratio is a thing that I see dividend investors talking about a lot on Twitter. And basically what that is is the amount of your net income that goes out the door via dividend again. So the general received thought <coughs> is that... The less of your net income your dividend takes up, the safer your dividend is. And I don't think Intercontinental fares terribly well in that. I think it's actually okay at the moment because it's had a couple of decent runs for net income. But they've tended to fly quite close to the wind on that, at least in the eye of dividend investors, who I think would mostly view that negatively. I view it positively, and here's why. Why? I tend to think that if you had two companies, it's I, hard to compare these because they're not like with like, but if you have one company that's a manufacturing company and your earnings come in and you spend half of them on replacing machines or, uh, re- or reinstalling factory equipment and that kind of thing, and then you dividend out the rest, you get sort of uh, a coverage ratio of about 50% because you spent half of it from your net income and you dividend out the rest of it then you have a company like Intercontinental which doesn't have any factories or indeed basically anything in the way of assets, your earnings come in, you spend absolutely nothing on machines because you don't have any and then you dividend out 90%. So here's the question then, which one's a better one? I think it's fairly obviously the second one, the one that dividends out 90% of its income and not 50% of its income. Which one has a better coverage ratio? Well, obviously the first one. But coverage ratios I think get tangled up here when we compare net income to Dividends going out because if you have a company that can't dividend out its net income because it needs to use that for stuff, that will make its coverage ratio look a lot better. But that doesn't mean that there's room for maneuver there. It's not like if that net income goes down, well, they can suddenly stop maintaining their equipment and so on and say, well, that's okay, we'll just take it off that budget. Well, I mean, they might do if they're Intel, but um, they're not supposed to, uh, is the general thought here. So I think this is a stock that I quite like from its asset-light sort of model. Doesn't take much capital to run. Doesn't take much capital to grow. Generates pretty good returns on its invested capital. Looks, I think, more expensive than it is. This is one where the PE is, I think, slightly misleading, and has held up pretty well through the pandemic. There are other hotel brands around that I like, but I wanted a UK one. Uh, this is where I'm. I would. This is what I would suggest to Paul if he were here, which he isn't. And maybe it's not relevant, because who knows where he is. Maybe he's just doing victory laps about being right about a stock.
1: Maybe. I was going to say, uh, coverage ratio is one of those really interesting things. Like, whoever designed it got it wrong from the very start. You would think it would be better, coverage ratio, rather than looking at net income, if it was looking at something like free cash flow. I checked or, uh, this very, very carefully to do that, because when I think about
0: dividends, I think about free cash flow, and because that's where they get paid from. But after I googled this very carefully and looked on Investopedia and a couple of other places they all seem to think it's about net income over and if this is very much connected to the kind of hobby horse that you and i have of talking about p e ratios one reason we don't like p e ratios very much is because the denominator can look weird at times and if you think look these earnings look lower than they ought to be because there's a load of stuff going on that isn't really relevant to it or is misleading in some way then you should think that the PE ratio is going to be misleading, and so is the dividend coverage ratio uh, for anyone looking at it, because anything that has earnings as part of its equation is now going to look either higher or lower than it ought to.
1: Hmm. Conscious we're running long time, Steve, so yep. I will well, you got. R- rush through mine. So I have done... So I'm still fairly early in my research into the VAT group, but I've liked what I've seen so much that I've actually bought a couple of shares. So I want to... I want to share my early research into this one and see what you think um so this is a uh, it's a nine billion swiss franc stock so it's another one i found on the swiss exchange um and just for reference a swiss franc is like 91 p or something like that so i always just think of them quid for quid it's like the easiest way for me to think about their uh, how this works so uh, so VAC Group, it's uh, it's got nothing to do with VAT. Uh, it's got nothing to do with... I don't even really understand why it's got the T in its name because it makes vacuum systems. They should have called themselves VAC Group. Um, they also make vacuum valves. It's pretty profitable. So I guess I've got to try and sell you vacuum valves. Um, so look, they're not as boring as they sound. They're uh, They're a key part in almost all of the world's high-tech growth industries. So... If you think of anywhere that needs a clean room or dustless production, uh, then VAT step in. They do more than just vacuum valves because um, vacuum uh, systems can be used uh, in a lot of things. So they can be used in things like material processing scientific research, vacuum coatings. Uh, they can be used in industries like life sciences, synthetic biology, solar panel manufacturing, lab-grown meat, semicondu- semiconductors. It's its literally a Cathy Wood um, fanfest. fest. Um, so that Group are the undisputed leaders in uh, this segment. They have 60% market share across all of the industries they serve. And they plan on staying there, too. They've got the largest R&D team uh, 300 R&D engineers currently employed at the company. So I had to quickly look through the customer base, Steve. Uh, How about this for a list? They list ASML, KLA, LAM Research, Samsung, Intel, Micron, LG, TSMC, SK Hynix as key clients in just the semiconductor space. If we're going to life sciences and biology, they say Thermo Fisher, Hitachi Life Sciences, Calzis, and they even supply CERN, the Hadron Collider Folk. Uh, they're not just install and manufacture. They also service and provide training on these items too. So they're literally positioned as the experts in this field. So I'm going to give you some quick financials. Um, so it's a mid-cap stock. It's under $10 billion. Um, They have just over a billion in revenue, 26% net margins, which means $268 million, uh, is bottom line profit. They're a premium business. Uh, the market knows this. It slaps a 34 times earnings multiple on them, uh, which, you know, especially when their revenue is only forecast to grow in the sort of low to mid-teens, uh, it's, it's quite a lot. Some return on stats because you know we like these. Return on equities, nearly 43%. Return on assets, 22.8%. Um, return on capital employed, 14.8% averaged over the last three years. If you want it from just last year, it's 46%. Debt's well managed. There's only two things on the balance sheet. A low interest 0.9% bond and a 1.9% partially drawn revolver. It's really well covered. Uh, 92% of it is covered by just one year's operating cash flow. Uh, The debt interest payments themselves are covered 330 times by EBIT. Uh, So look, here's some bad news for you. Order intake was down last year. Um, This is Pretty much what we're seeing in some of the lower tier semiconductors where they've started to cut down on capex and expansion. So this is short term bad news for that. And I would expect them to have maybe a down or maybe a flat or maybe a meager growth kind of year. But in the coming years, when these capex spends begin again and capital loosens a little bit, I'd expect that to do very, very well. And they do too. They're projecting that they'll reach two billion in revenue, so double their revenue in the next five years. And they think they can reach EBITDA margins of about 32 to 37%. And if it manages that, you're going to wish you bought it at this kind of valuation, I think. Um, so the stock is actually well off its highs. It's down about 38.5% from from its uh, its peak position. So, you know, it is represented in the share price. Uh, so, yeah, I own it. I've got a small position. I'm hoping it goes down a little bit, Steve, so I can get some uh, get some uh, more value out of it. And um, it pays a 1.8% dividend. Oh, that's similar then to Intercontinental.
0: There are a few things there that make quite a lot of sense to me here. So you point out mid-teens revenue growth on a PE of 34. I pulled a face because I was trying to work it out in my head and I got to 32, which is, I'll count that as close. Um, so I guess one thing to keep an eye on here, like Nintendo, is you said this, they basically do... Machine servicing and training, uh, pretty much. And I wonder, in that case, if you get a better revenue mix here, you might well find that earnings and margin expands and these profits clip along a bit faster than that revenue does. So if you think most places don't really... Oh, not most places. There are quite a few businesses that run on a model of have the machine, have the damn machine, what do I care? I'm going to make money servicing it, basically, or replacement parts or anything along those lines. All of that significantly higher margin, Nintendo-style, basically... I also thought Dustless Production. Yeah, that made me think of semiconductors. To be honest, with my limited knowledge of semiconductors, and I wonder whether the stocks are suffering because semiconductor in general are suffering a little bit here, and that seems to be an important part of their kind of business. The vacuum, I, I thought maybe that's what Vat Group standard for actually standard for stood for. Um, I thought maybe it wasn't a, just a word that you meant to read. Maybe it's like an acronym, so it stands for vacuums and things. Could be. That
1: sounds about right to me. Hmm. Do you have any other thoughts on it? Um, not particularly at the one other than that. I just thought, um, I, I, I mean, it's come down 5% since I've owned it. So it's one of those times where you wish you had some cash. That's probably another thing I would add to my pile of things that I'd look to buy. I, I'm going to wait till April now till I, till I buy any more, but I, those return on stats, Steve, are, uh, they're all very, very impressive. So, uh, you're definitely right about expanding margins. I think that's why they think their EBITDA margins are going to grow, um, to, you know, if they grow to thirty-seven percent, then they, there's going to be a hell of a lot more making its way down to the uh, down to the bottom line. But I think this is a pretty exciting kind of boring company. It's an industrial doing boring things that is part of a, a picks and shovel play on a on a on a broader market. So I I like it um, quite a lot to be honest. Yeah, I wrote down picks and shovels. I actually wrote down Cathy Wood picks and
0: shovels while you were talking. Um, and this feels like the kind of stock that we're familiar with. You mentioned Carl Zeiss or, Zeiss, or however you pronounce that last word. Along the way, it feels like
1: a that kind of uh, company to me. It, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's one of those companies that if you're really interested in, if you really believe that semiconductors, life sciences, uh, you know, synthetic biology, if you believe in those kind of things, but you don't want to risk it on a company that doesn't make any money, then, you know, that group might be, you know, might be a suitable pick because you could you could take that company and if, if those areas zoom off and become huge uh, markets, then you know that will do very very well. And if they only sort of shuffle along like they are doing, then that should still do pretty well. So um, you know, it, it may it may flatline for you. Is the truth of the matter is if they if these kind of saunter along, that might flatline to get itself down to a 15 or 20p that's what industrials do if they don't have the growth of the the surrounding markets but i think this is a premium business it does deserve a premium valuation it's just whether you can get to the 34 earnings multiple on them and say that you're comfortable with that
0: yeah that's i guess one for people to figure out for themselves a little bit but interesting stock i always like these kind of Swiss uh, franc-denominated stocks, and you said you picked up a couple, chance to buy some more. Anyway, uh, that's our show for this week. Paul will be back hopefully next time. We'll never know which of those stocks he would have chosen, because he won't listen to find out. But we'll see you next time, and if anything was the matter with our show, if we were off on our information in any way this time, blame ChatGPT. Bye for now.